World War Covid. From Weapon World to Peace World. Learner, begin. Learner Science 2. Water is so mysterious, it seems to be miraculous. Its molecular properties contradict the basic attributes of other compounds. Water seems purpose-made to support life and mandatory for its continuance, the constant companion of life if you will. Or could it be that the great atmospheric and maritime ocean is the primary living being on this planet and we are mere viral auxiliaries within it? What other properties could water hold, of which we know so little? How could we perfect this interaction? Gerald H. Pollack, a professor in biophysics at the University of Washington, released a fascinating book, Water, Energy, and Life. His research appears to be groundbreaking. In 2008, I watched his lecture on the research channel, that doesn't exist any longer, too intelligent for TV on Weapon World, then read his book. From the little of it I understood, water organizes itself into a highly organized liquid crystal, another physical state in addition to the four we recognize, liquid, gas, solid and plasma. Along its interface with air or gelled acids, it retains a small electrical charge that can grow up to several million molecules thick. This exclusion zone is free of dissolved chemicals that remain in the water beyond the interface. It is maintained and grows thicker under the influence of sunlight or another source of infrared light. Professor Pollock and his team achieved a 200 to 1 purification of water by drawing pure water from within the interface and sending off the mixed water into another container, the whole powered by sunlight alone without any filter or barrier. He hypothesized that primitive life forms may have self-organized within this liquid crystal interface. Other researchers have looked at the microscopically thin interface between the sea surface and the atmosphere, which seeds with microbial life when humanity doesn't sterilize it. These are preliminary results and I have probably not been clear. Google his name or read his books for more details. Some researchers, carefully suppressed, have studied water's exceptional properties of energy storage and propagation as it is driven and spun through special turbines. Their results so far have been almost mythical, radiating anti-gravity waves and other extraordinary forms of radiation. Others, Victor Schauberger foremost, have studied the healing properties of water dancing down rocky slopes to pick up natural minerals and suspend their solutes in milky, colloidal solutions that hold promising nutritional qualities. Others still have added nothing more than a handful of aged manure to batches of plain water and stirred them repeatedly clockwise and counterclockwise, thus creating an elixir with outstanding ability to fertilize plants, attract beneficial insects and repel destructive ones, for the general health of the soil and the quality and quantity of its crops, and perhaps even the purification of tainted water. See Christopher Bird and Peter Tompkins, The Secret Life of Plants, Harper and Row, New York, Evanston, San Francisco, London, 1973. In the early 1800s, electricity was a novel plaything for a few scientific highbrows, with no practical application. Nowadays, industrial society would not exist without direct or alternating current across trillions of circuits. In the near future, Novel forms of energy may replace fossil fuel, nuclear reactors, and other sources of electromagnetic power that supply us with electrical current. Such new energy sources may be electrogravitic, hydrogravitic, or some other hyphenated term surpassing current understanding. These new technologies will require deep study. They are as unknown to us as electricity was to wise men of the 15th century. At least they knew something about lightning, magnets, and the static electricity properties of amber and silk. It is on these matters that we should resume our research in earnest starting from scratch and looking for fundamental insights they might have missed. We know almost nothing of new technologies that may rescue human civilization. 
their advent may require the removal from office of the greediest and most reactionary leadership in history, compared to which ancient despots were forward-thinking progressives. It is going to take a series of technological miracles, miraculous technologies, and corresponding leadership to wean corporate industrial civilization from its fossil fuel addiction without starving and freezing millions, perhaps billions of people to death in the process, as their lights and heat go out and supply trucks they take for granted stop rolling into town. The technologies we've relied on in the past will become secondary to new ones we can hardly imagine today, upon which will depend the survival of human civilization. It's time fossil fuel and nuke monopolists were pulled off the back of the scientific community. They must stop dictating what kind of research is acceptable and start sponsoring the next generation of technologies that will make fossil fuels obsolete, before those fuels run out and not after. Humanity should have taken up this task in earnest 50 years ago and come up with fully mature new technologies by now. It may be too late to bring them online before masses of people suffer from the failure of oil production of fossil fuel technology and their timely replacement. Those responsible for this delay will answer in person for every casualty their profiteering induces. A planetary civil war may have to be fought over this issue alone, to their long-term woe, since the majority will oppose them. They must change their mind radically and soon, and spearhead new research in alternative energy sources to avoid the fate that has befallen every tyrant in the past. The other alternative, the Mad Max, road warrior one of cultural, technological, and societal collapse at the hands of a managerial class least worthy of that privilege, does not bear contemplating. There are no bad troops, only bad leaders. As it stands, we're pushing the outer envelope of ecological stability and human endurance. What military industrialists are getting away with reminds me of a joke about a man who jumped off a tall building. Falling past the 20th floor, he was heard to mutter so far, so good. Wallace Broker, an ocean circulation researcher at New York's Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, described the situation perfectly when he pointed out that climate is an angry beast and we are poking at it with sticks. From Bill McGuire, Will Global Warming Trigger an Ice Age? The Guardian, November 13, 2003. Another social experiment could plant the Olympics where warfare threatens to erupt. Today, we stage them in richer, quieter, better policed cities where their peace potential is masked. Learners may use the Olympics to curb local violence, the way the ancient Greeks did. During these new Olympics, local warlords will be expected to uphold the peace under intense public scrutiny. They will become international stars if their efforts bear fruit, and pariahs if not. Athletes, sportscasters, and spectators will live like heroes, in tent cities, under fire, and dying as martyrs if necessary. During the course of these events, reconstruction and reconciliation will be renewed with grim determination and their cash outlays will match those of a war fought out in the same circumstances. If those projects fail and violence persists, a massive world embargo would follow. Locals will have to exhaust their taste for violence in isolation from the rest of the world and then return to reason. Mass violence might recede as world opinion frowns on any interruption of these sacred games. Once again the Olympics will turn into a worship service for peace, not the meaningless spectacle we've grown used to, of empty sports statistics, national chauvinism, and mindless advertising. Reactionary detractors could point to the 1984 Winter Olympics in the city of Sarajevo a few years prior to Yugoslavia's brutal civil war, during which that city was besieged, shelled, and wrecked. Its famous cosmopolitanism has yet to recover fully. We might conclude that such a project would be worthless, based on the flawed example of Sarajevo's tragic heroism. Latent ethnic conflicts were not brought to the light of day. No public debate sought conflict resolution strategies before warfare flashed over. 
these vexing details were drowned out in sentimental Olympic twaddle, only to re-emerge as preventable genocide a few years later. Learner Olympics would seek the exact opposite. More attention would be paid to conflict resolution and much less to mawkish sentimentality, sports babble and tawdry publicity. Comment. Mark Mulligan at Comcast.net